Good morning. This is Alan Carroll at Carroll Pharmacy in Smithfield, and we are proud to bring you Hope for Today, a program we hope might help you, inspire you, or encourage you and give you hope for today. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. Sinners hate it and saints love it. It promotes everything good and denounces every evil. Wherever it is found, you will find hospitals, doctors, and all human mercies. It is loved by those of every age in life. It attracts the simplest minds and confounds the deepest thinkers. It is always up to date and meets today's needs. It is so complete in its coverage of all human conditions that no one could ever write a chapter to add anything to it. It is the only book written that is loved throughout the world. It has survived the ignorance of its friends and the hatred of its enemies. It has remained on the battlefields of life to preach the funerals of those who opposed it. It is the only true revelation of what lies beyond the tomb. Its statements are so true that it invites the criticism of historians, archaeologists, scientists, and investigators of every kind. Its statements are accurate concerning all matters that it touches. It is the only book that God ever wrote. Welcome back to another edition of Hope for Today. I'm sure even before I read the last line that many of you knew the book I was referring to was the Bible. Over 10 years ago, I was leading a Bible class for first and second graders, and the topic for the semester was how we got the Bible. I was so fascinated by what I learned over those several months that I knew I must share it one day. It was just too amazing and too precious to keep to myself. So today I want to share with you some of what I learned as I prepared for my class and also draw insights about the Bible from several of my favorite authors. The material I am using is from Disciple Land, a company headquartered in Colorado. When I went to their website, I read this statement from their story. The vast majority of today's Christian kids are spiritually malnourished. We stand ready to help you accomplish your Christian education goals for children and to help you develop world-class disciples. Children's discipleship is the hope of the world. And that was the end of that part of their story. I am thankful to have received Disciple Land's permission to tell you how we got the Bible. In the New Testament book of 2 Timothy, verse 316, we read, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. But just how did we get the Bible? That is what I want to share with you today. The Bible came from God. It is God's inspired Word, a gift to us. And if we read it, we will know how God wants us to live. God carved the Ten Commandments in stone, but later he told Moses to write everything he said, and Moses wrote it on paper. Moses knew how to read and write because he had been brought up as a child in Pharaoh's court. The paper that Moses wrote on was parchment that he rolled up on either side to make a scroll. The scrolls God had Moses write were called the Book of the Law. The Book of the Law consisted of the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. By the time Moses died, God's people had the book of the law. That book was God's gift to his people so they would know how to follow him. After Moses died, the man who became the leader was Joshua. He had been Moses' assistant. I now want to read you from the first chapter of Joshua, verses 1 through 9, where God is telling Joshua what to tell everyone to do with his word. To read it, talk about it, think about it,
at it and obey it. Now hear the words from the Old Testament book of Joshua, verses 1 through 9. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise, go over this Jordan River, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses, from the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun, shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So God first gave us the gift of our Bibles by telling Moses what to write, and then he made sure that Joshua and everyone else knew the importance of reading, talking about, thinking about, and obeying his word. And this is just as important today as it was thousands of years ago. When you take the time to read the Bible, God will show you who he is, what he wants, and what he will do. God gives us rules because he loves us, and he alone knows what is best for us. But how can we obey him? unless we know him. And that is where reading his word comes in. When we pray, we are talking to God. But when we take time to read the Bible, God is talking to us. Now, which do we need to be sure to do the most of? Yes, reading the Bible. God is the one who took the initiative to communicate with people. He chose human authors to record his inspired word. Over 1,500 years, there were about 40 different men who recorded the Bible. Men like Moses, Jeremiah, David, Luke, and John. Without error, these men wrote down God's inspired word in Greek and Hebrew. Inspired means God breathed. The Bible is a living book because it is God breathed. Without this inspiration, the Bible would be just another book. But it isn't just another book. One of the writers who was profiled in our study that fall was Dr. Luke, the physician who wrote the book of Luke and also the book of Acts. Luke went around and interviewed eyewitnesses to the events during Jesus' life and wrote down exactly what God wanted him to write and was very careful that every single word was true. Many of you may have a red letter edition of the Bible, the words of Jesus being in red. Pay careful attention to those words. They are exactly what he said. In 1947, the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered in a cave in Israel. After examining these ancient scrolls that were written over a thousand years before any existing manuscripts, it was determined that the words on them matched the accuracy of Bible Times scribes. Moses told all few 
future kings of Israel to handwrite a copy of the law in front of the priest so that each king could read it all the days of his life. From Deuteronomy 17, verses 18 and 19, we read, Also it shall be, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from the one before the priest the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, and be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes. If the king wrote his copy of the law in front of the priest, the priest could tell him if he made any mistakes and explain its meaning. Now Ezra was a godly scribe in the Old Testament who lived many years after Moses. I'm going to read you exactly what Ezra and the other scribes did as they copied the law. This is what I found to be so amazing, and I think you will be amazed as well. I've never forgotten it. First, before Ezra sat down to copy God's word, he had to say, I am now copying the holy word of God. Second, he had to say every word he wrote out loud twice. So, for example, before he wrote the word tree, he would have to say tree, tree. Third, before he wrote down God's name, he had to stand up and loudly say, I am now writing the holy name of God. Finally, when Ezra finished writing a book, he had to count the letters and words to make sure it was exact, because Ezra and those other Bible Times scribes were so careful to make exact copies. God's Word continues to survive and reach more and more people, even today. I want you to realize that everything written in the Bible is absolutely true. God determined which books were included so that the Bible became a collection of 66 God-inspired books. You can believe that God's Word is complete and reliable. Any statement that contradicts the Bible is false. The Christian Bible includes 39 Old Testament books. Hebrew scribes and scholars meticulously search each book to determine which ones came from God. There are 27 books in the New Testament. These books were collected by Bible scholars who held to exacting principles. For books to be accepted, the authors and their message was scrutinized, but God ultimately, divinely, guided each book's selection. No other book has withstood time and remained as helpful today as it was when it was written. If God did not inspire the Bible, then it would have been forgotten centuries ago, but it remains a bestseller year after year. I want to read you the set of questions that Bible scholars used in determining which books would be included in the 66 books of our Bible. They ask, does this book include God's words? And does this book contradict or disagree with any other books of the Bible? If it disagreed, they did not include it. They also ask, does this book have any mistakes in it? If it had a mistake, they did not include it. Finally, they ask, who wrote this book? If an author who loved and followed God wrote the book, then they included the book. When they were finished, they had 66 books. I now want to read you some verses from Deuteronomy chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. Therefore, you shall love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his judgments, and his commandments always. Know today that I do not speak with your children who have not known and who have not seen the chastening of the Lord your God, his greatness and the mighty hand and his outstretched arms, his signs and his acts which he did in the midst of Egypt to Pharaoh king of Egypt and to all his land. 
And it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commandments, which I command you today, to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and with all your soul, then I will give you rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain, your new wine and your oil. And I will send grass in your fields for your livestock, that you may eat and be filled. Take heed to yourselves, lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them, lest the Lord's anger be aroused against you, and he shut up the heavens so that there be no rain, and the land yield no produce, and you perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. Therefore, you shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied in the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them, like the days of the heavens above the earth. For hundreds of years, the only people who could even read and understand the Bible were the priests and other highly educated people. But there were two men who believed it was important that the common people have the Bible written in English. The first man was John Wycliffe. In the 14th century, he translated the entire Bible from the Latin version. Church leaders excommunicated him and upon his death, his bones were burned and thrown into a river. Then in, in 1525, William Tyndall finished translating the Bible from its original Hebrew and Greek. It was the church people who once again opposed his more accurate version. Tyndall had to flee from England to print his New Testament. Once printed, he smuggled copies back into England in bales of imported goods. For publishing the Bible in English, William Tyndall was burned to death in 1536. Many church and government leaders did not want the Bible in English. They thought they could control people if no one could read the Bible. They made it illegal for people to read English Bibles. Anyone caught with one could even be put to death. But the people knew they needed to know what God's Word said. John Wycliffe and William Tyndall made it possible for people to obey God's commands. Because English has changed a lot in 600 years, we have many translations of the Bible so that everyone can choose a version they understand best. I have a book, The Contemporary Parallel New Testament, that contains eight translations of the Bible. Different translations communicate the same truth with slightly different words. One translation might speak more clearly to a person's thoughts or personality, but they are all God's perfect word. God wants everyone to understand him. I myself prefer the New Living Translation or the New International Version. As I conclude this portion of the program about how we got the Bible, I want to reiterate the fact that the Bible is a book without error because our omniscient God is its author. His word illumines the path that leads to a happy and fulfilled life, a life full of hope. And again, the material I have shared up to this point in today's program is from Disciple Land a Christian publishing company headquartered in Colorado. I would like to share with you the story of William Tyndall, one of the main translators of the Bible into the English language. Here is his story as recorded in the one-year Christian history book by Michael and Sharon Rustin. William Tyndall was born about 1494 and educated first at Oxford, where he was or ordained into the priesthood, and then at Cambridge, where he joined the Reformation. 
When he completed his education, he felt he needed to get away from the academic atmosphere of the university to be able to think, pray, and study the Greek New Testament on his own. His solution was to take a job as tutor for a wealthy family. During that time, he became convinced that England would never be evangelized using Latin Bibles because it was impossible to establish the lay people in any truth except the scripture were laid before their eyes in their mother tongue. However, Tyndall's efforts to get permission from the Bishop of London to translate the Bible into English were unsuccessful, so he left England never to return. Tyndall settled in Antwerp, where sympathetic English merchants had hid and protected him as he translated the Greek New Testament and parts of the Hebrew Old Testament into English. His first English New Testament was printed in Germany in 1525. As Tyndall's English Bibles were smuggled into England, the Archbishop of Canterbury and the Bishop of London began attacking him fiercely. Finally, on June 18, 1528, Thomas Woolsey, the English Cardinal, ordered the ambassador to the Low Countries to demand from the Low Countries regent that Tyndall be arrested and extradited to England. It took his pursuers seven years to track him down, but Tyndall was finally arrested near Brussels in 1535. He was held in a cold castle dungeon nearby for 18 months before his trial. A long list of charges was drawn up against him. Among them, he had maintained that faith alone justifies and that to believe in the forgiveness of sins and to embrace the mercy offered in the gospel was enough for salvation. Tyndall, in his early 40s, was found guilty at his trial and condemned to death as a heretic. Referring to the king's opposition to his English Bible, Tyndall said, Lord, open the king of England's eyes. Then William Tyndall was strangled and his body burned. The year that Tyndall died, there were two English Bibles containing his translation of the New Testament circulating in England, awaiting the approval of King Henry VIII. When the first was presented to him, the king, not realizing it was Tyndall who had translated the New Testament, proclaimed, In God's name, let it go abroad among the people. Two years later, the king directed that every church in England display one book of the whole Bible in English. Tyndall's dying prayer was answered. Tyndall's Bible translations were his lasting legacy. They were so well done that they make up 90% of the wordings of the King James Version published nearly 100 years later and 75% of the wordings of the Revised Standard Version of 1952. In Billy Graham's devotional, Hope for Each Day, he says that as Christians we have only one authority, the Word of God. There is only one voice that will tell us the truth. Whose voice is that? The written word of God given to us by God to tell us what we are to believe and how we are to live. Psalm 119.105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. In a letter to a friend, Abraham Lincoln said, I am profitably engaged in reading the Bible. Take all of this book upon reason that you can and the balance upon faith, and you will live and die a better man. John Bunyan wrote, Entertain the promises. Thinking about these promises, and the Bible is full of them, Max Locato wrote a book in 2018 entitled, Unshakable Hope. Building our lives on the promises of God in his book, Locato highlights about 15 promises, including 2 Peter 1.4, God has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature. And from Psalm 35, 
Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. And from Acts 17, 31, For he has set a day when he will judge the world. And from Hebrews 6, 19, We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Billy Graham ended his October 26 devotional with this comment and question. The Bible is our one sure guide in an unsure world. Is it your guide? In their devotional, Experiencing God Day by Day, authors Henry and Richard Blackaby have this to say in their October the 19th devotion entitled, It Is Your Life. And the verse they cite is Deuteronomy 32:47. It's puzzling that so many Christians try to live the Christian life without reading their Bible, except for sporadic periods of perusals of God's Word, seeking a pithy thought for the day. The Word of God is not merely a source of helpful suggestions, preventative warnings, or inspirational thoughts. It is life itself. God gathered the children of Israel at the edge of the Promised Land to review their pilgrimage with Him. They had spent 40 years in a desert because their parents had not trusted God's Word. Their parents died without seeing the Promised Land because they had not believed God's Word. Even the revered Moses was soon to leave them because he had not shown proper reverence for God's word. Many of them knew those who had been put to death as a consequence of their disobedience to God's word. Over the years, God's word had become the most important thing in the life of the Israelites. God commanded his people to bind his words on their hearts, to teach them diligently to their children, and to regularly discuss them in their homes. So essential was his word that it was to hold a prominent place in the daily lives of his people. Our reverence for God's word is revealed not only by what we say, but by what we do. Spending more time reading and studying the words of people rather than the word of God reveals our heart's condition. To blatantly disregard God's word is to reject life itself. To obey God's word is the surest way to experience all that God has in store for us. I hope that as you have listened to today's program, you have come to realize how blessed we are to have God's inspired word and the dedication and sacrifice it took to actually get this treasure into our hands, our homes, and hopefully into our hearts. We should not take God's gift lightly. Our hope for our eternal future is based on the promises in God's inspired word. As you read his word, ask God to help you understand it, to believe it, and to love it with all your heart so that you might apply it in your life and thereby bring glory to him. In closing, I'm going to leave you today with Greg Laurie's daily devotion from January the 10th, 2022. The most amazing book ever written. Today's daily devotional from Pastor Greg Laurie. Our scripture reading today is from 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or from human initiative. No, those prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they spoke from God. Soon after evangelist Billy Sunday became a Christian, an older believer gave him some advice on how to grow spiritually. He said, William, there are three simple rules I can give to you, and if you will hold to them, you will never write backslider after your name. 
Take 15 minutes each day to listen to God talking to you. Take 15 minutes each day to talk to God. Take 15 minutes each day to talk to others about God. How does God speak to us? He speaks to us primarily through His Word, the Bible. Yet a lot of people aren't opening their Bibles today. Instead, we're looking at things like social media. Every day, 66% of evangelical believers are looking at Facebook, 39% are looking at YouTube, and 32% are opening their Bibles. We have a problem. We need to open up the Bible and discover what it has to say, because a successful Christian will be a Bible-studying Christian. On the other hand, a failing Christian will be someone who doesn't open the Word of God. I remember the first time I started to read the Bible. I couldn't believe that I'd finally found the user's manual of life. The words were so relevant to what I was facing as a 17-year-old, and they're still relevant to what I'm facing today. They're relevant for every phase of life. The Bible is the most amazing book ever written. It's literally God's message to us. Technically speaking, it's not one book, but actually 66 books written over a span of 1,500 years. The words of Scripture were inspired by God and written by 40 authors from every walk of life, including kings, peasants, philosophers, fishermen, poets, statesmen, and scholars. And all of them write about God's redemption of humanity. The Word of God is perfect, and it's completely trustworthy. Thank you for listening. How do I know? How do I know the Bible tells me so? Now be real good to your enemies And the blessed Lord you'll surely please How do I know the Bible tells me so? Don't worry about tomorrow Just be real good today The Lord is right beside you He'll guide you all the way You must have faith Hope and charity, that's the way to live successfully. How do I know the Bible tells me so? The Lord will take your problems and work them out for you. But He wants you to love Him and trust Him right on through. You must have faith, hope and charity. That's the way to live successfully. How do I know? The Bible tells me. How do I know? The Bible tells me. How do I know? The Bible tells me so. listening to Hope for Today, brought to you each Sunday morning by Carroll Pharmacy. We hope the message today has helped and encouraged you. If we can ever help you with your prescriptions, over-the-counter medications, or vaccines, we hope you will come in to our family-owned and operated independent pharmacy, where outstanding customer service is our goal. 